Join Jeanette as she educates owners how to continue empowering their puppies to ensure they become balanced and fulfilled dogs. How to reduce the chance of your puppy getting diarrhea when you bring them home. Number one, the first three days, leave the puppy home and let them adjust to their new space. They've got to gain rapport and trust in you. Remember, everything about their life has changed from new people, new space, new den, new animals. And then if you're taking them out even the first day or it's a really long day, and I know we're excited to be able to start our socialization because I preach that so much that you've got to socialize these puppies in a safe way. The first 16 weeks is the most critical. Anything after that is remedial training. So I know, and then because I didn't put enough focus on what it initially looks like, like everybody just thought they were doing the right thing and it wasn't. So please don't pick up your puppy and then go to the soccer field and please don't pick up your puppy and take them out to Home Depot or please don't pick up your puppy and go sit outside a little cafe. I need you for the first three to five days, three days for a more assertive, confident puppy, up to five days with a more sensitive, submissive puppy or any puppy that lacks in confidence, just give them time to adjust to you and your home and their new schedule. Please don't have a bunch of people come over and you're handing your puppy around. I know you're excited and you want to show them off. It's kind of like having a brand new baby too. Like you don't want everybody coming and holding them. You want to get home. You want to adjust to this new life of yours with your baby. It should really kind of be looked at the same way. They don't even know you and you're handing them off to people and you don't know what the stress signals are. So they're telling you this is too much. I feel uncomfortable. There's too much pressure on me. And you're not listening and you stack and create so much stress. So how is your relationship getting started with your puppy? That you are untrustworthy. That's not a good start. (laughs) They need to know that you will protect them and they can trust you. You need to know what stress signals look like in a puppy. So if they do that, you are able to be like, I'm sorry, my puppy needs a nap. But first of all, let's just not have other people over right now. Let's not expose the puppy to any person outside of their new home. Let's build rapport and trust and get a schedule down before you start pushing them off on other people or rather people pushing themselves into a puppy. There's a lot of emotion when someone sees or meets a new puppy. Let's be real. Oh my gosh, they're so cute. And they scoop them up and they're feeling all this energy and they elevate their voice. And the puppy's like, what the shit did I do? What's going on? Like it makes them nervous if they're not used to that type of energy. And you keep doing that one person after another, you're also going to create an issue where that puppy does not want to meet new people. I need you to understand that if you put too much pressure on a puppy from other people and you don't protect them and you're not watching for their stress signals and you keep doing it, you're literally telling your puppy that new people are not good. And that's the exact opposite. So less is more, especially initially. Stress signals your puppy will display. Everything your puppy does is intentional. We just don't know or we're not looking or we're not thinking about that because we're so excited to show off our puppy. Yawning is number one. 
If someone's holding your puppy and your puppy yawns, that is your cue immediately to say, I'm sorry, my puppy needs a break. It has nothing to do with them being tired. It's a stress signal. They're telling you they've reached their threshold in stress. Whatever they're doing, whatever environment you have them in, they tap out. You need to be reliable and trustful and remove the dog from that situation. And don't coddle them and like, oh, I'm so sorry. No, just matter of fact, take them. We're going to go do quiet time or whatever. Just remove them from the situation. No nonsense. All right. So there's yawning. There's just simple avoidance and we don't see it, but they literally will turn their head away from someone like trying to talk and interact with them. And they're literally like, I'm avoiding, I'm avoiding. It's a very powerful, nonverbal way dogs communicate. They avoid. They learn that as puppies. Well, when a puppy keeps pouncing and biting and tugging and that the puppy just keeps avoiding and turning their butt to them or keeps walking away and does not engage Puppies pick it up. Oh, okay. And they literally just quickly go and find something else to do, right? And so showing that level of avoidance, kind of like pinned ears can be stress, whining or vocalizing. It's generally not because they're excited. If they're in a new situation, it's stress. So you've got to, this is what I'm saying. You have to learn more about your puppy so that you can honor and respect them before you start doing exposure work. You need to honor and learn about your puppy and respect your puppy enough before you start letting them meet new people. Because if you don't know them well enough that you don't know what their stress signals are, shame on you for putting them in any type of potentially stressful situation. This is why dogs become quickly very fearful of going to new places because every time they did, they tried to tell you it was too much and you were not listening. Nobody wants to continue being put in situations where they feel disrespected, where they feel like it's too much and they weren't protected. They were vulnerable, right? They need to know without a doubt that you will protect them and listen to them. So please take the time to let them adjust to not only their new space and potentially other animals, but you. And you take the time to make sure you have a fairly good understanding of their stress signals and make sure you continue empowering them and not enabling them and do it slow. It could be literally five days for a more submissive, tender, sensitive puppy. Now, do you need to get them out and socialize? Yes. The other mistake so many people are making is it's way too damn much, way too damn soon. Like literally five minutes a day. That doesn't include their car ride. Remember, you're giving them exposure on their car ride. Go through Home Depot and just walk around five minutes for a nine-week-old puppy, an eight-and-a-half, nine-week-old puppy. Five minutes. They start panting, that's stress. They start yawning, that's stress. They start pinning their ears, that's stress. They start looking away and avoiding, that is stress. When you do too much, you're now conditioning and creating a dog that's fearful to do anything new and try anything new, and they have lost their trust in you. And it just snowballs into this over-anxious, over-fearful dog. And yes, it can be genetic, but hopefully you're buying from an empowered badass breeder who chooses their breeding stock very carefully, not only health testing, but temperament too, so that we're not passing on fearful traits. So really, I hate to say it, but most of that comes from 
either complete lack of socialization or incorrect over-socialization. Both is bad. I need you to come to the middle. We can't not socialize and leave them locked in the house. And we can't over-socialize, especially when they're still so young. When they get older, like 16 weeks, if you're just creating this nice foundation, fast and fun and no pressure, you don't need to let everybody that comes into your path touch the puppy. It's just enough that I walk the puppy around Home Depot because I want to leave the situation before they ever give me a stress signal. That is my job that I'm gaining trust every single time. And it gets to the point, like with my Hannah and Holly, I can take them anywhere at any time now because we have that long established trust. I know both of their stress signals. They know I will never continue to push them in that. And more importantly, I work hard to know what upsets them or stresses them out. And I never even expose them to that kind of thing. You know, do you see how powerful that is? So five minutes, short and fun every day, every other day. And then you can start building a little bit longer, 10 minutes, you know, at 10 weeks, maybe 11 minutes at 11 weeks, 15 at 12 weeks. And just as long as you're not getting to the point where you get a stress signal. If you get a stress signal, you need to back off. Like, don't go out the next day. Like, you blew it. Don't even go out the next day. Have a fun, safe, quiet day at home with your puppy. All right, that's number one. I got so much to say. Let's look at number two. Don't wake a sleeping puppy. This is another huge common mistake. You don't realize how much sleep a puppy needs. They'll take three to four hour naps. They'll be up for an hour and down and they'll be up for two hours and then down for two hours. Like they have the rhythm. And the thing is like, they try so hard to please you, especially our dogs, because we have laid that foundation and to work with and for a human and that it's absolutely rewarding. And so they want to try to keep up with you. But what you need to do is ensure, especially the first three to five days, that you allow for the opportunity for them to sleep. I know it's hard because you just got your puppy and everybody's picking them up and everybody wants their turn. And before you know it, they haven't slept in six hours. That's way too long. And then they fall asleep and a your kid comes home from school and wakes them up. Like we don't realize how impactful that is. Think about your life when you're just running on very little sleep. Like you just, you're not your best self and our dogs aren't either. They display it a little differently. They get more ornery, more strong-willed, more crabby, more biting, more stupid stuff. You're like, what's going on here? That's their toddler way of telling you (laughs) They're throwing a fit. They're over exhausted. So just don't wake a sleeping puppy. Just like a baby, they finally go down for a nap or make them go in their kennel and nap or watch when they start to get tired and leave them alone, respecting them to know it's nap time and I'm going to stop engaging or asking anything from my puppy and let them sleep as long as you can and let them wake up on their own. It's incredibly important. You get lack of sleep and you're Stacking too much stress on top of it because you're taking them out way too long, way too much. They're giving you stress signals. You're not listening. And they get home and you keep them up. Oh, can you see the disaster you're already creating? Of course they got the shits, man. These two things alone create stomach and GI issues. They would for people. So don't be texting me shocked. Your dog has the shits. 
Because when I start asking these questions and I see the kind of schedule you're keeping them on, it makes me sad. And that's why I'm here to educate you because I know without a doubt, you all want to do the best thing for your puppy. I know I've made these same mistakes and I've just learned throughout time, learned to stand in their space, be still and listen, understand their body language in a way that most people don't know, right? And so, you know, that's part of my mission being here is to help you understand what our puppies are telling us, giving them a voice in a way that just isn't being done. All right. So there's number two. Don't wake a sleeping puppy and let it go to sleep. Let them sleep. The third one. I know you may not like or agree with the food the breeder has your puppy on. I don't care right now. I'm not a dog food snob. I absolutely know there's not one dog food that fits every puppy. I mean, think about humans too. All the different restrictions on their diet because it causes problems, right? Dogs can have allergies. Some food can be cause the GI upset. It's just not agreeing with their system. We have to let that go for nine weeks. So no matter what, like I tell my clients, buy nine weeks worth of food. You're in it, nine weeks. You're not changing their food. Because again, I don't know why. I don't know why like dogs can eat their own dog shit and they can eat dead birds and they eat the nastiest, grossest horse poop. Like, let's be real. But yet these dogs have all this trouble switching a kibble. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense to me. But it doesn't need to. I know that's the reality. Now, there are absolutely some dogs that have a stomach of iron. I'm so happy if you have one. You can switch foods. You can give treats, like whatever you need to do. No problem. They can get into a loaf of bread. No problem. But that overall, that's not a huge part of our dogs. And golden retrievers and both poodles, because we breed golden doodles specifically, can have sensitive stomachs. You're in it for nine weeks. Just commit to it. Just be okay with it because it's the best thing for your puppy, nine weeks. And then if you did, but I will caution you right now, if the food the puppy came home on and you do all of these tips and tricks and you have nice solid poop, I'm just saying, I wouldn't mess with that. I just keep feeding them that food. But if maybe it's not the best or you feel like they haven't had the most sensitive stomach, you haven't had any problems with diarrhea, with anything, and part of it's because you've managed it correctly. But anyway, I don't care. Like, I get it. Families want all their dogs on the same food and it's just easier and whatever. Take nine days to transition. So think in nines when thinking about switching dog food. Nine weeks. Anytime you start feeding your dog a food, you're in it for nine weeks unless there's some severe medical issue, Okay. And then nine days to transition, three days, 75% the old food, 25% the new food. The next three days, 50-50. The final three days, 25% the old food and 75% the new food. Let's give them a nice slow transition to ensure we don't have gut issues. All right, number four, this kind of goes with it. Do not go out and buy training treats for your puppy. And I know we get super excited. We're getting a new puppy and we go and we pick out like 15, not 15. Maybe that was an extreme exaggeration, maybe three. And we get all different flavors, right? And even different brands because that's what we think we should do. Don't. You do not need training treats right now. Don't even spend your money on them. 
Remember with all this stress and all this change, and then you're giving them something and I'll t- training treats are rich and they can cause stomach upset. So let's use their kibble. It's kind of like hiring an employee and you pay them their max salary right away. Now you have nowhere to go. They need to earn higher level treats, whether it's a little piece of hot dog, whether it's a Zook's training treat, crap. If you can figure out that they'll eat apples and and work wonders for you with an apple, even better. Rotisserie chicken's my go-to. I buy it a lot and I'll take all the pieces, you know, off the bones, a little, little tiny, but I give such little, I'm quick giving such big treats, like a tiny, tiny sliver. And I'll even mix it up when I'm trying to wean off of treats where I just, they lick the flavor off my hand because I'm weaning them off from getting so much. So don't even start by giving them a ton of stuff. Use their kibble for as long as you can. And when you notice they're not not super happy about it, one way to to help make them happier about it is don't feed them first. (laughs) A dog that has a little bit of hunger, a little bit of food satisfaction, right, will work for a kibble of their food. So plan their training prior to feeding and do their kibble and then just feed them the rest of their food. And you can do it twice a day before breakfast and before dinner. Two little training sessions for a little puppy is great. And as long as they stay focused, which could be very minimal for a little puppy. And it depends what kind of puppy you selected. Some are more squirrely and lack focus, which you just got to keep working on and keep rewarding and not getting frustrated. Heather's got a question or a comment. Portion out their kibble for the day and walk around it with your pockets and reward all day. Yeah, that's a great option too. It's like, or set up their all their food for the whole day on the counter in a bowl. And they had to work for all of it. I would just caution if you're trying to still potty train, I wouldn't do that. Like I would feed their whole food pretty much together. Like they'll train for five minutes for some kibble and then feed them. You know, and when you control their schedule, it's easier to potty train initially. And then you can start doing that as well. But if you're not having potty training issues, then, you know, you can absolutely do that. The only time that I want you feeding anything other than their kibble to a puppy, and this includes anything edible, bully sticks, the yak bones, anything they actually ingest, I would not feed a puppy either. They do have these teething rings that it's, they can really chew and they're not getting very much at a time. And so I think that's better, but bully sticks alone can cause GI upset. So let's, you know, keep things, they don't know, just like kids, they don't know bully sticks are a possibility until you give them one. So let's try to wait as long as possible. And really the best thing I would do is go to your butcher and get a like raw knuckle bone. But just remember, they collect bacteria very quickly. So you can let your puppy chew on it for a little bit, or that can be their kennel reward when they're in their kennel while you're gone, as long as it's safe. And you got to get it back in the freezer quickly though. So otherwise it's a one and done, you know, you give them the bone while you're gone and come back and throw it away. But the only time I do feed anything different, yeah, the Nyla bones, Julie, yes, the edible Nyla bones, don't do any of that yet. One, that's a high reward. <laughs> We're still paying minimum wage, first of all. It's still creating that nothing in life is for free. You're laying this very important foundation. We overspoil our pets. Too many toys, too many treats initially. Let's pull that back a little bit and let's build as they get older. And you won't have a spoiled brat puppy that just uses you, essentially. I mean, that's what happens. It's just reality. Why shouldn't they? 
You don't have to work for anything and you give them all these amazing things. You know, we don't want to do that with our kids either, right? We want them to earn it. We want them to learn the value of money. We want them to learn the value of hard work. That same thing for your puppy. They need to learn their place in the pack and the value of work, whether that means training, whether that means calm and focused, whatever you are requiring of them. Learning through expectation is really, really powerful and very empowering for a puppy to just a lot of it's learning by expectation. But the only time I do actually give them, and I'm literally a tiny piece of rotisserie chicken, you would laugh at me (laughs) for the treat game and the emergency puppy, puppy, puppy recall. These are both life-saving games slash imprinting that will could and will save your dog's life. So it has to be 100% reward every single time and something different than their kibble. Because it when you say, you know, three years later, you've still just practiced the puppy, puppy, puppy recall here and there, whatever. And it is nothing but a reward. It is, it will save your dog's life. But don't call your puppy in from outside and put them in a kennel. Nothing negative attached to it. But, you know, we explain all that to our clients as well. And the treat game, we explain all that. And literally a tiny chunk or a sliver of chicken, a little tiny piece of hot dog. I literally just scoop it out with my nail. Like they think it's amazing because we're starting at minimum wage, right? So this is high value. I'm not going to give them a big chunk of it. I can start little, little tiny, and then you can work up as well when you start doing. When they start getting, of course, to 16 weeks, fully vaccinated, you're working them with higher distance duration distraction. You will have to pay them more. You will have to give them something better than kibble, but you don't have to do it yet after you bring them home. All right, number five. As long as you're buying from a responsible, ethical breeder, deworming and vaccines should be done prior to that puppy going home. Part of the problem is, and I'm trying to educate my breeders on this as well, if a breeder gives the vaccine themselves, it's rare that the vet will acknowledge that as a vaccine. Why? Because they cannot control the control of the vaccine. So if you go buy them at Tractor Supply, like I hope to God, like the high school kid that got got to work after high school that day, didn't forget to get the vaccines in the fridge in time. It didn't unintentionally or intentionally get left behind. Like vaccines are very, very finicky and it has to be refrigerated all of the time. Now we're relying on an employee like mistakes aren't that high for them, right? Like, well, I'll unpack that in a minute. We're relying on controlling the vaccine when it's really out of our control. So that's number one. You go buy the vaccine. I don't really know if it's ever reached room temperature up to this point at all. The shipping, the employees, whatever. Second is the vet can't really verify that the breeder gave the vaccine to the puppy. And let's be real, because as a whole especially in the past, what breeders have said hasn't been the truth, right? That's been a problem. And it's a problem that I'm working very hard and mentoring thousands of breeders to change this stigma. So if you go to your vet and they will not acknowledge the vaccines because the breeder did it themselves, then you have to revaccinate again. I mean, you have to. They get parvo or distemper, like that's deadly. But if your breeder had a vet do the vaccine, First of all, another vet absolutely should honor that. Make sure you give them the correct paperwork for that. 
do not let your puppy get revaccinated. Do not let them get revaccinated. You know what's crazy? It's the same amount of vaccine, the five-way, goes into a tiny three-pound puppy at eight weeks, a toy breed, as it would a Great Dane. I know, it doesn't make sense. So please, especially our smaller toy breeds, there can be reactions to the vaccine, especially if they got as much as a Great Dane gets or a Golden Retriever gets at 10 pounds, little tiny two, three pounders get the exact same amount of the vaccine. Fun fact. All right. So do not let them get revaccinated. There could be consequences to that. Most likely not. But like, why put more chemicals in their body than we need to? Like it was done. And number two, make sure your breeder gives you documentation of deworming, what they dewormed with, when they dewormed and give that to your vet and don't let them deworm again. If they use our protocol or a protocol that's been working for them, the puppies are literally dewormed up to the day before they go home at certain specific times when certain specific protozoa parasites can flourish, right? So our puppies get several different types of dewormers to manage, you know, coccidia, giardia, roundworms, potentially hookworms, you know, whatever. So give that all to the vet. And as long as you trust your breeder, which you should, you shouldn't buy from somebody you don't trust and they have dewormed and they've given you the documentation for it, don't let the puppy get dewormed again. Unfortunately, it can cause GI upset and throw off the balance of the gut. So that's not always ideal either. But we have to because if Giardia flourishes or Coccidia or worms like that is far more damaging than the deworming medication for real. Trust me, I know. So don't deworm again. They should be dewormed at the next vaccine visit. If they want to deworm again, absolutely deworm again, but not back to back. Like we deworm up to the day before the puppies go home. Not the entire time, but we finish a series right before they go home. They don't need any more deworming at that time. So do the vaccine, should be three weeks later, and they can deworm again three weeks later, fine. Not on your first three-day vet visit. I tell my clients, nothing needs to be done to the puppy. They've been microchipped. They got their health clearance. We did a fecal to check for any issues in their gut. And if there was... I let the clients know, I sent home medication, I allow the option for them to stay until they're clear, like that's all managed, right? Because it's just common, like all puppies have something, let's be real. And if you didn't know that, that's true. So the goal of the breeder is to take care of it before they go home. You know, that's definitely the, the challenge and the game and the competition right there, like breeder one, parasite zero, right? All right. And I tell my clients, nothing actually has to be done. Just take the puppy to your vet and ask them, was my money well spent? Like, we know puppies are getting expensive because especially inflation right now is crazy. We're getting hit too for medication. Dog food is going up crazy. You know, minimum wage has been boosted and we're giving our staff, you know, raises. And so it's not to truly do it to a standard of where these puppies are worked and loved and constantly having a human and going through stimulating environments. Like it, cost money, right? And so, yeah, Heather says the goal as owners is to keep the parasites from activating. Absolutely. And uh, this is part of the GI upset diarrhea. So if you follow this, don't create, because if you get the diarrhea in your puppy, the immune system drops and then the parasites can reactivate in their system. So same thing happens. Like our moms are clear, clear, clear from everything it doesn't matter though, the puppies could still get 
the parasites from the mom. Almost all of it comes from the mom. Because parasites are very clever. There's a reason why they've existed for so long. When we start using dewormer to kill them, some of them will go inactive in the muscle tissue or the tissue of the dog. And it does not reactivate until the immune system drops, typically from stress or sickness. And then all of a sudden, they pop up. So our goal is to ensure it's definitely not stress. And diarrhea makes, especially for Giardia and Coccidia, makes it far more inhabitable in the gut when they've got diarrhea. So then it just snowballs into a lot of problems. So keeping our puppies low stress, keeping nothing but their kibble so we're not creating diarrhea because on top of the stress and then the food upset, boom, reactivation. And now we've got to deal with parasites again when we had it taken care of before they went home. That is our goal is to make sure it's taken care of before they go home. And your goal is to make sure it does not come back. All right. We teach our puppies the empowerment word of yes. So when they start curriculum at three weeks old in the whelping box, they start to learn what this word means. When they're brave and they approach, we say yes. It's that simple. So it's been imprinted in their mind that, and then we ensure nothing negative happens, right? We're not going to stack stress. And if we start to see a puppy stressed out, we either help them work through it so they see it's okay, or we remove them. Like it's still about honoring them and they feel safe. So they start to learn, just like we talked about with socialization, they start to learn, I can absolutely trust my humans. They listen to me. They take care of me. I'm never pushed to a point where I feel uncomfortable or unsafe, right? So every time we give them a different environment to work in, we're asking for them to be brave and confident. We're asking for them to approach and be curious, right? We want curious, confident learners. And so we use the yes empowerment word starting right away. Every time they approach them, yes, they go check out that toy. Yes, we're doing overhead awareness in the parachutes flapping above them. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, you are brave. Yes, you can trust me. Yes, you are okay. And then they shake it off and like, oh, yeah, got that. By the time they're eight weeks old, I see the incredible impact of one simple three-letter word that's been used correctly through curriculum, what it does even in the puppy evaluation. The umbrella pops. Woo, what's that? Yes. Oh, okay. And they toddle right over to it. It's instant. You see that flip in their mind and it's truly powerful because it's just a reflection of we have respected them. We have honored them. We have protected them and listened to them. And that word yes denotes all of that. It's that key word. So we're giving that gift to our owners. So guess what? The first time they go home and they're like, are we crawling? And they kind of go in and check. Yes. I'm not so sure. I don't know. Yes. You're okay. Yes. And then they're like, oh, I know that word, even though it's coming from someone I don't know. I know what that means. And within potentially seconds, they're feeling more brave and they're walking without army crawling, and they're starting to explore with bravery and curiosity. It's truly amazing. Something that simple. Your breeder needs to do, and then you need to continue doing 
in the right way. Don't ever say yes. Like I'm really careful if I'm not sure if they're meeting a new dog for the first time or your dog for the first time, I won't say yes because what if the dog does growl at them? And I've literally said, yes, you can trust me. And the dog goes, err. Now I just became unreliable. So I only use yes when you know without a doubt there will not be negative consequences. We can't keep a puppy in a bubble. There will be negative consequences. There will be things out of your control, a backfiring car, another gets loose and comes after you. But the goal is to set our dog up with such a strong foundation of trust and respect that we're better equipped to working them through a negative experience. If you coddle, so let's just say you're out walking and a dog got loose and came after your dog physically, hopefully not bad because you're there. But now the dog go to put them on the leash the next day and they're like, oh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh. This equates to what happened yesterday. But it's absolutely when they start giving that hesitation, you don't bend down like, I'm so sorry what happened. And you're feeling these intense human emotions. And you are actually telling the dog, yes, you should be fearful. Yes, I can't protect you. Yes, walks are scary. That's not what we're intending to do, but that's the way you're communicating with the canine. Their brain is far more powerful than ours. They don't live in the past. They don't hold grudges. They do know if they have a negative experience, they will connect that and that could affect their future. But if we manage and handle that correctly, it will never be an issue. So if they've had a negative experience out on a walk with the dog, now, not literally a hundred times, but a lot. Your job is to immediately the next day, get them back out there. Call friends. This is like a community. <laughs> Call your tribe. I need help. It won't take much. Please bring your dog. Can I come over to your house and we just walk your dog up and down the street and show your dog it was a one-time thing and we don't need to hold on to it. See how much more powerful their brain is? It's just incredible. If we just manage it correctly, we are feeding into, we are cultivating the power of a dog. And if we don't do it correctly, we lose that. And that is detrimental. It's not fair, you know. So manage fear correctly. If they're fearful of something, they're going to do 100 million times. I'm going to show them it is okay. This grate won't eat you. The motorcycle will not kill you. <laughs> the dog that did attack you, that will not happen again, or at least for now. And if you can just move them through it and then just be more careful. Like I know it's it was not your fault a dog got loose, but next time pick up your dog or something, I don't know. Or use your foot to stop that dog, do whatever it takes. And if you think something is a little scary, using your body to block is incredibly powerful. So if I know my dog is doesn't love buses or there's another dog coming next to us, I will always position myself in between my dog and whatever else it is. I don't care if it's on the left, on the right, I will make that transition. And they know exactly what that means. Mama's here. Daddy's here. I don't have to be fearful. And then don't be afraid to step up and protect your dog though. At that point, if the dog's coming toward my dog, I'm either picking him up or I am I know it sounds crazy. I've started running after that dog, screaming and clapping. 
<laughs> like my dog's like, oh, what's going on? But then they feel safe, right? They know mama take care of it. Mama bear's coming out. No dog's gonna bite you. They gotta come through me first. Don't get hurt. All right. Yes, empowerment more. That's a fantastic way to minimize stress and reduce diarrhea. Use their scented blanket in their kennel or in their bed or on the floor initially. The only thing they have that reminds them of home that still has that connection is the blanket that's been scented to their mother and to their human or humans. So the blankets we sent home are scented to everybody that works with the puppy and to their mama and to the nursery. Like this is their smell all combined into one. Now I know we've had some dogs traveling and they vomited on or had an accident on their blanket and owners called me distressed. Like I have to wash this. Is this going to like ruin my puppy? I'm like, no, it's fine. Like just make sure you're doing everything else. It's not the end all be all of the world, but just wash it and don't feel bad about it. Just be no nonsense. If I can just give you one word to be with your puppy, no nonsense. Cut some of the emotion out of it because us having emotion is not actually speaking correctly to our puppy. When you have emotion about putting them in the kennel, you're either feeling it or you're saying it. I'm so sorry. I know. I'm so sorry. I'll be home soon. And you put them in the kennel. All you're telling them is they should fear the kennel because they feel your reluctance pertaining to this item. And then, dummy, you put them in it. Now you're unreliable. Why would you have negative feelings toward this and then put me in it? That's actually what you're communicating to your puppy. You're doing the exact opposite. You have to get your shit together, put them in the kennel, no nonsense, and leave. And when you come home, now think about it from a dog's point of view. You leave feeling bad, and then you still leave them in it. Then you come home excited. You wonder why your puppy doesn't love the kennel. No puppies love it at first, but if you're no-nonsense and it's a positive thing, they get something busy, something safe, only when they're in their kennel, it becomes a very positive space and time for their puppy. No-nonsense, neutral, no touch, no talk, no eye contact, in the kennel. You can say kennel, and if they don't do it, I just whoop, push them in, shut the door, you're good, and here's your special treat you only get when you're in the kennel. And when I come home, definitely no touch, no talk, no eye contact, especially initially, I'll carry the kennel right to the back door. I open it up, I open the door, and I say, go outside. And I'll go out with them when they're little and say, when they're actually going potty, I say, go potty. Because if you're standing there saying, go potty, go potty, go potty, while they're smelling everything, you're telling them, go potty actually means smell everything and take your time. I don't want that. I want a dog that goes right outside and goes potty, especially when it's cold or hot. So only say whatever words you want when they're actually doing it so they make the correct connection. You all be teaching puppies to take their time, man. And they got to smell a lot because that's what you told them. That's what go potty means to them. Silly. If you only knew, right? If you only knew. Okay. The next one, bland diet and pumpkin. If you are dealing with diarrhea, the first thing you should do is just put them on a bland diet, like boiled chicken or hamburger rinsed and white rice, and then add a little canned pumpkin in it. And it will help calm everything down. We're not creating more. I used to have clients do this regardless. But once I figured out managing all these other things, it's not even common anymore that my clients have to go to a bland diet. 
I mean, isn't that amazing? And you can always add pumpkin in their diet, not like pumpkin pie filler, but just canned pumpkin. Or on Amazon, they have what's called firm up and it's powdered pumpkin. All of our puppies are on it. We put it in their food when we're transitioning them from mommy's milk to food, because even that transition causes what? Diarrhea. And so they have their probiotic, the symbiotic, the pumpkin, a little bit of formula to help the transition. And then their food crushed and watered down and, you know, we call it mush, puppy mush. So, I mean, we even do that for the puppies transitioning. So it's absolutely something if you're going to buy anything, get them a little bit of pumpkin or get the sprinkle stuff. And it's just extra fiber. And we know how good fiber is too. If you give too much pumpkin, it will cause diarrhea. So you don't want to give them too much. Just a little tiny bit of pumpkin. You can play around with it. What's good about the powder is it has the directions on the back how much you should put in their food. All right, the last one. Calm and quiet zen. Thank you, Heather. She's getting my links up. She got the teething rings up so you can... Look at the Facebook feed, wherever you're listening to this from. If you go to our Facebook page, Bori Kennels, Heather is putting the links right in there for you under this video. She's got the pumpkin link and she's got the, the teething rings that I say, if you really got a chewer, that would be the best bet going, you know, after bringing a puppy home to really hope and manage diarrhea. Our puppies have the teething rings. We zip tie them to their kennel so they can just sit and chew on them. That is something that they do get here, their, their little chew item. Calm and quiet, have a Zen space, not too much commotion. If you've got a birthday party planned or something at your house, put your puppy in the kennel. We can bring him out a little bit, but then back into the kennel. It's just too much. I need you guys to start thinking about these puppies as being sensitive and I can truly acknowledge how much change they've already gone through. And don't keep creating more change. Your goal is to build rapport and trust with your puppy prior to adding stress to their life or prior to adding unpredictability. Because if you've done that initially, everything will be easier for them. And then you ensure you're not laying the negative foundation of people are scary because it's too much pressure and I'm stressed and they don't listen to me. Or Going to all these new locations, I'm giving stress signals and the human does not care. They're not listening. So I don't want to do anything anymore. I don't want to meet new people and I sure as shit don't want to go anywhere anymore because it's negative every single time. We want it short and fun. Learn your puppy's stress signal before you start stacking too much stress. Literally like five minutes initially. Short, short socialization. Nobody's going to be petting my puppy at this age. I want my puppy to know that I will protect them and I'm, I'm not allowing that. And you don't want puppies to get overexcited every time they see somebody, right? These puppies that like lose their shit, even at six months, a year old, every time they see somebody. Some dogs are just absolutely friendly. Golden retrievers are one. But also take an honest look back were you actually rewarding that? They get excited to see somebody and you let them be pet all of the time. So I would rather have that controlled more. Every once in a while, I'll let someone pet my puppy. And if they're on a leash, the puppy has to be. And I say, well, will you actually help me with training? Like, I'd love you to pet my puppy, but I want to make sure it's done correctly. They need to be sitting. And if they stand up, hands off. So I put the puppy in a sit. 
And then they can pet, trying to keep things more controlled, right? Out of control puppies are not happy puppies. They get so much excitement all the time or anxiety all the time. That's not a happy, healthy puppy. And so put them in a sit, allow the person to pet. If the dog even gets up, hands off, they're done. And like, thank you. Thank you for helping training my puppy. Use people, instead of just letting them pet them however you want, do whatever they want, employ them to help you with the training. Set whatever those expectations are, train through expectations, and make sure that is happening. Don't be afraid to advocate for your puppy. I don't know why, because I used to be this way too. I wouldn't say no to people. I know how much joy it brings to other people. But what I'd found over years is I was really dishonoring my puppy. And my allegiance needs to be with my puppy. I need to self-advocate. If I don't want anybody petting my dog that day, because we're just going to work on other stuff. I'm so sorry. They, or they ask, or they just come up to the puppy, right? Like some people just will come up and start petting. It's definitely in our culture that we can touch other people's dogs, which I don't really like. Like, I don't think you should be going up and touching anybody's dog without permission. And if you see their training, I really just leave them alone, right? Or it's a service dog. Leave them alone. They have their own work to do. You, by disrupting and interrupting and petting without permission, could actually ruin a service dog. Because now when they go out in public, they're looking at everybody. Are you going to pet me? Hey, are you going to pet me? And they're not focused on their handler, which could be incredibly dangerous, right? We don't want that. So leave them alone. But if I see someone coming up to pet, like I just have to watch, you just have to be like high alert. I'll stop them. I'm so sorry. The puppy cannot be petted today. We're doing a training session. Thank you so much for understanding. Just memorize your little thing and be ready. Like be ready. Like I have to be because I'm not confrontational and I don't want to hurt people's feelings. And so I just had to memorize it and just make it happen. And I had to take the extra step to be more hypervigilant. I'm not just looking at my puppy, but I'm looking at everybody else. <laughs> Avoid eye contact, first of all. Once you make eye contact, it's over because people feel that that is a, you know, they can come into that space. So just have your little thing memorized. I'm sorry, my puppy's in training. We're not petting today. Thank you so much, though. Thank you so much for respecting my puppy. I appreciate you or whatever. Sorry he's working, which is also a cue to the dog to focus. Exactly. It's, again, training through expectation. All right, you guys. Thank you so much. I'm Jeanette with 40 Kennels. We're not only healing hearts and changing lives through the power of a dog. And this, is, this session today, too, is about ensuring that we keep the power acknowledged and protected in our dogs so that they can be their best self, so they can be a dog, not half human, influenced by human emotions that they don't need to have, right? Let's not discount the power of a dog by trying to make them human or even trying to treat them as human. The best thing we can do is understand the way they communicate and understand what they need. But we are also changing breeding from bad to badass. And I'm taking thousands of breeders on this journey with me. My goal is to shut down puppy mills and backyard ill-intentioned breeders and demand more for our dogs. And I need you as well. You got to stop buying from pet stores. You got to stop buying from online brokers. If you can't literally meet the breeder, talk to the breeder, do not buy. And the first question you should ask any breeder is, if I have to, 
return my dog, not that you will, but we never know, right? If I have to return this dog at any time in its life, will you take this dog back? And the question should be immediately, absolutely. Good breeders want their dogs back. We don't want them rehomed without our knowledge. We don't want them in a shelter. We don't want them with a rescue group. And imagine what that would do if you all bought from a breeder that would take their puppy back. Imagine what that would do to the numbers in the shelter and the rescue groups and puppy mills will go out of business because we won't be funding them anymore, right? And backyard ill-intentioned breeders will stop breeding because you ain't buying puppies from them anymore. So stop funding shit breeders. Ask for an empowered badass breeder. Ask them if they'll return a dog. Learn about their program, their purpose, their mission. Bye everybody. Have a great weekend.